today was recently Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. The time is 12.59 a.m. It is now ostensibly Sunday. October 23rd, 2022. I have just recently returned home from the quakes and cries portion of the Undertakers and Underselves exhibition of the Atlanta Surrealist Group at the No Tomorrow Gallery in Underground Atlanta. And boy, what a party. Special thanks to the extraordinary performance artist, what. musician, and dramaturg Priscilla Smith for the use of her space. I had quite the day. And indeed it was night. Listening to... Beautiful performances and readings by a number of extremely creative and thoughtful human beings. I even had the opportunity to perform with some of them myself. I present to you this week on Mumbling Planet a mostly uninterrupted recording I took of tonight's performance. And here I am, having just returned home from that performance, beginning to make this podcast. And I'm doing that despite me being tired and somewhat delirious. For one particular reason. In order to while it's still fresh in my mind, fill in the empty spaces of sound where the things that are occurring are things that have to be witnessed firsthand. I hope that despite giving you the recording as I took it, I can fill in some of the details while my memory is still fresh. Don't expect anything straightforward, though. It's a lot of impressions. I highly suspect that my interpretation of events will be poetic and perhaps preemptively nostalgic. Please forgive me. My heart gets too big sometimes. And I have such affection for all of these people. Even though I just met some of them that day, the feeling of community is overwhelming. So without further ado, we begin. Well, I should say this. We started this evening. Um, we, I, which is to say me and, me and Stephen... <laughs> started this evening with the intention of recording all of the sound 
on my uh, Zoom H4 mic, which would have given a higher audio quality. Unfortunately, because I'm an idiot, when I went to turn the Zoom on, it said that there was no card in the slot. So I couldn't get it with a good mic. Ladies and gentlemen, my deepest regrets for that snafu. Um, I did record everything with the iPhone microphone, um, which isn't the worst in the world. It's also not the best in the world, but given the scrappy do-it-yourself ethos anyway, I think you'll still get a sense of what it was like to be there. In any case, I had just gotten done setting up my computer and audio interface to play the final set with Fluss Noise, and before I could get back, and I ended up not using it anyway, but before I could get back to, um, to close the laptop lid, LaDonna Smith, improv legend, had already started playing. So as soon as I could, I rushed to a seat in the front row and hit record on my iPhone microphone and set it on a table, a table that contained a little statue of some kind of skeleton of a bird and some other kind of structure that referenced birds somehow that contained some kind of wind chime, although I don't think it was ever used. But my phone was sitting right below that structure. And it is in that moment that we bring you in now.
At which point, LaDonna Smith is joined by fellow Birmingham musicians Clifford McPeak and Damani.
don't lie.
up you've heard him on the podcast before it's jason abdelhadi talking about the exhibition that he helped put together and flew all the way in from canada to attend of the earth are not for moles alone. This is a quotation from the occultist the Comte de Gabalis. What is a signal and how deeply does it ring? Nobody is supposed to hear a peep from the oubliette and yet we somehow perceive a low growl, an infectious density that pulls our air-adapted minds well below our accustomed chaos. Above ground, walls and obstacles hem us in from every side. Surficial catastrophe lights up at the slightest breeze, and darkness loses its prerogative. The time has come to tunnel down, to see how deep the rising sign really goes. We come to find that there is no luxury greater than the cavernous movie palace beneath the street, 
as it projects the hidden desires of the world above. Meet the underselves. It's a carnival in the underworld, where moles and monsters alike build unfathomable sideshows, where cicadas dwell dreaming for decades about their single orgiastic scream, like a carny barker inviting us to gaze upon the freak show of our own subconscious. An octopus, with subterranean galleries representing octopodian arms, far more than eight, 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 intertwining into unfathomable rat kings that keep on unfolding themselves. Even the underself can't be more than a membrane, a seismic organ. The title of the exhibition comes partly from a remarkable but virtually unknown essay by a 19th century woman living in the Atlanta area. Her name was Bessie Ficklin. Uh, apart from that essay that she wrote that I'm going to refer to, uh, she's known basically for writing an authoritative book on hand puppets. Bessie, Bessie's essay is on the topic of dream poetry. It recounts her systematic attempts to capture all instances of poetry, verse, and song that appeared to her in her own dreams. She actually alludes to a circle of friends who all seem to be engaged in this very specific activity. But in explaining the qualities of her dream verse, she provides a systematic review of every published dream poem she could find, uh, in addition to those of her friends. She also, she also slips in a rather startling psychological account for dreaming in general, part Jamesian empiricist and part fairy tale. It is in this explanation that Bessie invokes the underselves, which is where the title uh, underselves comes from in this, in this uh, exhibition. Sort of little goblin beings of the subconscious, both apart and inside of ourselves, that do the dream work for us. So she writes, the central self that my weariness puts to sleep and that I consider my personality owes a vast amount of its powers to certain underselves who remain alive and active, whether it sleeps or wakes, who know their business well and go about it with a conscientious, conscientious vigor that needs no supervision. It is part, partially to honor or at least to titillate these secret many selves that we have put on this show. Um, Surrealism, in its most radical incarnations, pushes back against fi no fixed notions of the self, of humanity, of the under unchanging and pure cohesion of the soul. Not only speculating, we push ourselves to experience things that demonstrate clearly and distinctly that there is so much more out there than the official stories tell us. In the current situation, where new forms of asymmetrical relations of power in the form of data and surveillance control Innovate the means by which an already brutal capitalistic civilization cannibalizes itself. The situation of the personality, in quotations, is incredibly bleak. Surveillance media, packaged as empowering tools, asocial in the extreme, entices us to develop a narrow and shallow sense of who we are. We are measured by the, the minute according to goals, tasks completed, traits, photographic anti-portraits, uh, our climb to success, our haphazard data points. The path to happiness is merely a linear accumulation of experience points in a dismal role-playing game where we break down under the pressure of facing up to our own so-called potential, our true self. The personality market and its accumulation of awards, experiences, and demonstrations of success is the biggest ruse of all. They want you to forget the observation of the Mad Hatter, who told you it's your unbirthday, 364 days of the year. You are who you aren't most of the time. But the underselves, note the plural, 
The idea of having a multitude of small, possibly interchangeable components, visiting demons and curious fancies, aren't these manifested daily in the haphazard flow of our everyday thoughts? How can we take credit for our own dreams? Uh, the cartoonist Stephen Appleby is right to point out the extremely local event of thinking itself. Ideas, like little ectoplasmic globules, are floating everywhere in the air. Sometimes they visit us. Our biology is itself a Rube Goldberg machine of disparate cells, pulleys, cheesehounds barking at the cats of Ulthar. The underselves are undertakers. The idea of the undertaker part of this um, came from our friend and surrealist collaborator Matthias Forschaga in Stockholm. He uh, said, I have always loved the word undertaker because it's not so much a euphemistic or ambiguous uh, term as one that is gloriously general. The one who undertakes things, making things happen, making certain things happen, grasping those duties that the frail shy away from, getting a firm grip on the things underneath. The undertaker is the one that makes it happen. Again, an echo in my ears from Psychic TV's early, in quotation marks only, hit preaching Crowley and sex magic. You want to make it happen? You want to turn that old mind pattern? Also clearly, the undertaker is the one who is trying to get a firm grip on the underground. It is not a firm grip in the sandy soil and the cheesy rock. It is a futile attempt. But then, of course, ourselves are nothing but futile attempts, trying to hold onto tunnels that keep changing. We're calling it an excavation. We are in the underground, after all. Uh, some results of my personal underselves um, came to me in a sort of hypnagogic experimental uh, booklet that I put together called Nagaja, which I didn't really want to sign with my own name because I don't feel like I can take credit for it. Um, the first section, section of that book cons consists of hypnagogic poems. These are sequences of hypnagogic phrases that would get shouted into my brain as I was falling asleep. Eventually, I went to force myself, like Bessie Ficklin, to record them. Soon it became apparent that I could fall into them, given the right conditions, in a sequence, getting up every few minutes to write down a line, lying down again, etc., until I finally succumbed to sleep. The result of any single take, if you will, uh, I would later assemble in strict order of appearance into a kind of poem. So I'll give you uh, just one example of those. Um, and that will serve as kind of a, a, a final uh, evocation of the underself, at least as far as I'm concerned. So. All of these lines came to me as I was sort of uh, falling asleep. I would get up, write them, start to fall asleep again, wait until that line was something that I didn't feel that was just in the flow of my own thoughts. That actually felt like it was shouted to me. And I never figured out what Cinderella was about. Where the dream world slime, the Zagreb of the mask. Doctor, you said that all bats are off. <laughs> Conundrum syndrome. <laughs> the researching class invades Lucky Tan. From which part do you want? Oniric Homeric or Wensleydale? The gaseous attempt at a mayoral candidate. <laughs> the urban knicker. This season tracks the, un the unsichtbare Loga. You lie down, it's through. An amber dolphin, one could check. Thank you.
So they're talking about Majid Arame, and that person you heard reply was Alex Cohen. Now, Majid Arame and Alex Cohen, I should say, are absolute staples of the Atlanta avant-garde scene. Forces to be reckoned with, to be sure. And Majid right now is upstairs in No Tomorrow, finishing up his costuming. Now, he's got a... Um, he's got face makeup, with like a pad of moss on one cheek. And on the other cheek is painted an eye with literal eyelashes glued there. And he's got long pointy ears coming off the side and uh, a big white cloak. And he's descending the stairs right now. And uh, Alex Cohen is... uh, opening his case and what emerges from the case is wouldn't you know it a viola da gamba (laughs) a real viola da gamba like the ones from the renaissance with the movable frets and everything Alex and Majid have been playing a duet um together for a while now with Viola da Gamba and uh, Mandolin. I've been meaning to talk with Majid for a while about um, his work and interviewing him about the, the mythos that he's created. I went to one of his, uh, I went to his ballet that he put together and it was also at No Tomorrow, not too long ago, called Giant's Moot, involving variously colored shining stones. <laughs> He's quite a character. Alex Cohen is also quite something. He's professor of music composition at Georgia Tech, who's uh, a graduate of Mills College, an acquaintance of my friend Brett Carson, who's also a graduate of Mills College, and uh, Majid and Alex have been performing together duets for uh, mandolin and viola de gamba no, for a while. Thanks. Very interesting stuff, I should say. So here's Majid sitting in his. <laughs> oh, he's also got horns, I should say. <laughs> there, there are. Um, spirally pointy horns coming off of his head and pointy ears and uh, moss on one cheek and an eye on the other cheek. Uh, 
and the whole time he plays he's got his eyes closed like he's in some kind of trance and Alex is the same way except for Alex has got um, aviator glasses and uh, and a ball cap that says Alcatraz <laughs> And, uh, you know, just normal tennis shoes. And a viola de gamba. <laughs> huh. So, you know, who knows what to expect from a duet like that. I suppose we'll see in a minute. So, I'll let uh, a few moments of silence, a few moments few moments rather of silence preclude the performance you're about to hear of those two right now Thank you. 
porcupine that lumbers over dry and brittle land, fears and slumber and fears the hands of summer. And the sun that slides over the ground, that sucks the moisture and pounds the earth to dust. But still, the lust of living lives and quills must bristle and legs must run. The mouth must issue warning of the strength to fight.
And as they take their intermission, we will also take ours. That concludes part one of Quakes and Cries. We'll see you again in part two coming up next on Mumbling Planet. <laughs>